Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Brother Churchill, my, my good friend, longtime friend. And it's always good to be with the Churchills. We were with them a number of years ago. He took me king salmon fishing. Got one. All you got to do is get one. And uh, that was an experience that I'll never forget. And and it's just great to be with all of you wonderful Alaskans and Yukon people. Well, how do you, what do you call Yukon people? Alaskans, you, you, Yukonites or something, I don't know. What are they? Yukoners. There you go. Praise God. Thank the Lord. Thank you, Brother Parrish, for inviting Irma and I to come. It's an honor to be with you. The Bradbury District Board officials want to thank Jim and Heather Blackshear for hosting us over the weekend and very special friends. Brother Jim Blackshear is one of my dearest friends. Not sure how all that unfolded, but down through time. We've become good buddies. From time to time, we get together and recreate a little bit. And uh, I'll leave the rest to your imagination. But uh, love these folks. And, uh, and it's, uh, of course, an honor to be with Bishop Blackshear. Appreciate him so much. And all of you wonderful folks. It's been a blessing to be with Brother Kevin Cox, not only a great friend, but uh, a leader of ministry that we're privileged to be a part of, chairing our board of directors. He has a real heart for Tupelo. He really does. And that means so much. He's an encourager. It's a great blessing to the work there. I want to thank, uh, thank all of you for receiving our presentation last night. Thank you. I hope that helps. My wife loaded me down with uh, cough drops. Fish, what are they? Fisher what? Fisherman friends. That sounds Alaskan to me. Fisherman friends. And I think I know what happened. I, I feel okay. But I, we went on that little, uh, the shorter version of the glacier cruise. And that was very interesting. Just uh, fabulous scenery, and we enjoyed that very much. And the inside was so congested with people and close quarters. And six of us assigned to a little table. And I just had to get out of there. I was getting cabin fever and claustrophobia. So I spent most of that four hours, four or five hours out on the deck, and it was cold and windy. And I didn't have a hat on and uh, nearly froze to death. But, but, uh, I think that's what I'm afflicted with, the result of that. That wasn't very smart. So I, I hope that my voice won't be too difficult for you to endure. I was very tempted to make a phone call early this morning and suggest we get another preacher today. Amen. Amen. I want to uh, draw your attention this morning to a very familiar passage 
in 2 Kings chapter 4. And I, I just feel to share, uh, maybe this would be considered a devotional thought today. Something that I pray will be a blessing to, uh, to those of us that are here. Appreciate you being here. We came at 9 o'clock. I thought maybe the rapture had taken place. Uh, and we missed it. Uh, there wasn't a soul in this building at 9 o'clock. And uh, it would help if I would, I have a schedule, and, and it would help if I'd read the schedule, but I just assumed we were having a 9 o'clock service this morning. It's just as well because as we were walking back to the car to go back to the cabin for a few minutes, I discovered that my jacket that I had on didn't match my pants. I had a blue sport coat and a blue pair of pants, and they didn't anywhere. It wasn't the, it wasn't the same shade of navy. So it was, it was appropriate that we went home and back to the house and got the right jacket. Amen. Say praise the Lord. Have you enjoyed being at camp meeting? Wow. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. I'm just about camp meeting out, and we're just getting started. Next week, we're in Georgia and Louisiana. And the next week, we are in Mississippi Tuesday night, Arkansas Wednesday night, Florida Thursday night, and Indiana Friday night. Somebody pray for us. Amen. Amen. But we, we appreciate the wonderful favor and blessing of the fellowship upon Tupelo Children's Mansion. And you folks have been so receptive. Last night, uh, Irma and I signed up, I think, eight new sponsors. Isn't that wonderful? Praise God. That was worth the trip. We signed up some folks from North Pole, Alaska to be sponsors. To, man, we're not just coast to coast. We're, we're north, to, north Pole to South Pole. Amen. And, and thank you so much. And if you, it, we'll be here today and tonight. If you want to come back, we'd love to meet you for as little as $15 a month. You can become a partner with us, sponsoring a specific child or the ministry in general. Or you can become a guardian angel sponsor that's a new level of sponsorship that, that supports our Haven of Hope program for troubled teenage girls. We've had 100 girls go through this program. And it's a very segmented, ultra-structured program for young ladies that need more help, perhaps have more difficult challenges, and have been through more abusive situations, uh, maybe runaways, rebellious, cutters, cutting themselves, self-harmers that need very special help and attention in a very structured environment. All of our children have needs, but a number of years ago, we, we, we were getting calls incessantly, almost every day, for uh, help with troubled teenage girls across our fellowship. There was no place for them to go. This was a great need. And so the Lord placed it upon my heart to look into this. And, and God helped us uh, gather the resources and establish a 
home. It's, it's housed separately. Their schooling is separate. And, and we have a wonderful staff of ladies that supervise and teach and mentor these young ladies. And for the most part, all of the girls, most all of the girls that have gone through this program have been helped tremendously. Many of them have found God and been filled with the Holy Ghost and tremendous potential. And oftentimes these girls, when we look at the application for acceptance and we determine whether they're a good fit for the program, you see the, you know, you wonder, well, can we help them or not? Do they need to be even in a treatment center or something uh, that would that could even provide more help than what we can give them? Oftentimes they come. We have found they come, they get settled into our program, and we find out that most of their problems were not self-afflicted but because of what they had been exposed to. Parents that had been abusive and negligent. The girls weren't as bad as what they were made out to be. And... Uh, then uh, I can remember one young lady in particular that went through the 18-month program was doing so well, and we were uh, working toward reunifying her with her parents. And just a few days before she was set to be discharged and released back into her home, the parents called and said, we don't want her. Just whatever you all want to do with her is fine with us. How do you tell a 13-year-old girl that your parents aren't coming to get you and they don't want you? I'm telling you, this is the kind of thing that we deal with day in. and We've been on the phone this morning and text messages and emails, just case matters and, and situations where we're having to make decisions in regard to new placements or uh, matters pertaining to the children that are there. So we're asking you not only to support the mansion financially, but how many will pray for this ministry? Praise God. God's going to use these young people that are at the mansion right now in and a great work for the Lord, ministers' wives, professional people, business people, people that can, that can uh, have a great influence in this world and have a wonderful walk with God. Thank the Lord. I didn't mean to say that. I just, you know, we, it's just kind of part of who we are. So if you want to partner as a, uh, a, a supporter of the Guardian uh, of the Haven of Hope program for troubled teenage girls, you can be a guardian angel sponsor. You can't choose a specific girl because there's a certain anonymity and privacy involved in girls that are placed there. We've had ministers and wives, daughters placed at Haven of Hope. So consequently, we don't publish their pictures. We don't use their names. But uh, God is helping us to help them. And uh, these children are certainly worth saving. Praise God. Amen. Amen. I saw, I saw a commercial on TV a few weeks ago. I hope you don't uh, chastise me for that. But it was, it was the most heart-stirring thing I'd seen in a long time. And it was about something about saving animals that have been abused. And the message, and I mean, it was just heart-wrenching. And for so, so many since a day, I can help save an abused animal. Well, I'm all about saving animals, but don't you think that a soul is worth more than saving an animal? A child that has an eternal future? Praise God. Praise God. The Lord bless you.
today. So, 2 Kings chapter 4, and this is a very simple thought. Why don't we stand together? And I'm, I'm impressed by everybody standing, and obviously for some, if not most of those here, it's a custom when a preacher reads his text to stand. And I'm going to just take advantage of this moment to say that, you know, that may be a tradition, but all traditions aren't bad. Amen? I, I don't know that it's necessarily a doctrinal thing or a heaven or hell thing. Or I mean, if, if standing, when we read the Scripture, is... is is what's supposed to happen, then every time a preacher reads a scripture, you'd stand. So there's a certain element of tradition in as we start the preaching and read the message. I think it's not a bad thing. And uh, so I just, for what it's worth, I commend you for honoring, even if it's not your personal conviction or maybe your pastor hasn't taught you that or it's not your custom at your church. I think it's a wonderful thing when we honor the traditions of others and the, and the convictions and so on. It's kind of like what I talked about yesterday. Nothing wrong with doing, thing, doing things together. Amen? Clap your hands and praise the Lord for just a moment. I know you got your Bibles out. Amen. Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead, and thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord, and the creditor has come to take unto him my two sons, to be bondmen. And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me. What hast thou in the house? And she said, Thine handmaid hath not anything in the house. I think she paused there for a moment, said, except for just a pot of oil. Then he said, Go borrow thee vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels. Borrow not a few. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and shalt pour out into all those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. Thou shalt set aside that which is full. So she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons who brought the vessels to her and she poured out and it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said unto her son, bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, there's not a vessel more. And the oil stayed. Then she came and told the man of God and he said, go sell the oil, pay the debt and live thou and thy children of the rest. God bless you. You may be seated. I want you to notice especially the second verse. The NIV translates the passage like this. There is nothing in the house except a little oil. The jar of oil is hardly worth mentioning. And I, I personally think that she almost didn't even mention the jar of oil. You've heard that what she had in that jar of oil was the key 
to a wonderful, oh my goodness. I'm surprised we even got cell phone service out here. There's just a special something about this campground. Got better phone service on the campground than we do at the cabin. Connected, I'm telling you. Amen. So you've heard that what was in the jar of oil was the, was the key to that wonderful, miraculous display of God's power. And I have certainly preached that from this text many times. And in, in that context, we, we mention uh, God speaking to Moses. What do you have in your hand? What do you have? And... We preach that God's more interested in what we have than what we don't have. And we sing that song. It don't take a whole lot. Just use what you've got. And we get excited about that. And yet today, if you would permit me, and I'm not trying to find just something unique or different to preach about today, but perhaps a little different twist on this passage than what you've heard before. And it may come as a revelation to somebody. And I want to suggest to you this morning that the real key to the miracle was not the jar of oil that she had, but the fact that she really had nothing. She was empty. What strikes me as I read this passage is not what the woman had, but what she didn't have. Essentially, this woman had nothing. She had no husband. She had no money, no food, no income. There weren't any prospects of things getting any better. She lives in a hovel, nothing but bare walls, no furniture. She's got two sons, but the creditors were coming to get these boys as slaves. The Mosaic Law allowed this, and they were coming to demand her to pay or else, and she's terrified at the prospects. This is a desperate woman, and in her nothingness, this helpless woman came to find a prophet, shared with him the pitiful story of her dilemma, and this is what he told her in verses 3 and 4. Go around and ask your neighbors for empty jars. Now, don't just ask for a few. Now, can you imagine how shock, shocking this was to this, this woman that was so destitute? It's, it's as if Elisha was telling her that she needed more emptiness, that she didn't have enough emptiness in her emptiness. She, she needed to gather. It, I, I know you've told me that, that you have nothing in the house, the prophet says, except a little, a little oil, and, and I know your emptiness, but I want you to get really empty. I want you to gather up all of the emptiness that you have and, and then go out into the neighborhood and borrow the emptiness that you can find. Just get your hands on as much emptiness as possible. Surround yourself with emptiness. I, I want you to get overwhelmed 
with your emptiness and then go back into your empty house and be with the two boys that you really don't have and see what Almighty God can do in your life. (laughs) And that's exactly what she did. And the miracle of the story is that she kept pouring and she kept pouring out of what she had until all the vessels, the empty vessels, were full. And we need to be reminded of a fact that we already know, that the oil did not stop flowing until there were no more empty vessels to fill. (laughs) Well, praise God. Or to put it another way, there was no more nothing to fill. As long as there was some emptiness around, God kept pouring out the blessing. And so the thesis of this this little devotion this morning is this. If you're not experiencing the fullness of God's blessing, if if you're not experiencing God's presence and, and the provision that He has allocated for you in this life, you may not be empty enough. Praise God. Praise God. If, if, you, if you need revival, if you're here in this camp meeting and haven't received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, it may be that you're not empty enough because the precursor, the prerequisite, the, the requirement for your miracle is not what you have, but it's what you don't have. Praise God. Praise God. we got to reach a point where we're, we're so destitute that God is the only answer. That we, we realize that the only answer is a miracle. You know what a miracle is? Now, this is really going to be deep and profound. A miracle is something so difficult that only God can do it. Anybody here need a miracle this morning? Anybody got a situation? got a problem maybe it's a financial situation maybe it's a physical ailment maybe it's a domestic uh, matter that it, it, you've reached the the end of your rope your tether anybody te- you know what tetherball is when we were kids we used to play tetherball love tetherball man you could get that to get some momentum going boom 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 and when that ball got to the end of when it wrapped around that pole you were you, you won We used to play that for hours. You know why it's called tetherball? Because the ball is at the end of the rope. Sometimes we've got to reach that point where we're empty. No other answers. No one else to turn to. We would see more miracles if we recognized that we really needed the miracle. I'll never forget. Years ago I was sitting at at, at at the in the break room at, at WEC when I was in the youth division and I was drinking my Diet Coke that God delivered me from, thank God. You talk about an addiction. I was addicted to Diet Cokes. I don't mean to be stepping on any toes here this morning, but I quit it. I haven't had a soda in five years. So, so, <laughs> To, to fill that void, I took up another bad habit called coffee. 
Yeah. Uh-huh. Boy, a good old cup of Starbucks would be good right now. And I know there's a Starbucks in Fred Meyer right down here. And Safeway. I may be making me a little journey this afternoon. <laughs> but I'm sitting in the break room at WEC with Brother Becton, just he and I, Brother Cleveland Becton. And, and he had just come back from an overseas uh, mission, preaching overseas. And we sat there, and he was sharing with me some of the great miracles that took place on that trip. Blinded eyes open, crippled people walking. And we've seen that. We've been there. We've witnessed miracles even in here in the States. But he made this statement that I'll never, I'll never forget. He said, Steve, he said, you know why we don't see more miracles in North America? I said, no. Why? He said, because we don't need the miracles. Too many times, God is our last resort. Nothing wrong with going to the doctor, but oftentimes it's after we've gone to every specialist and every doctor that we really get serious about asking God for a healing and the miracle that we need. I saw people here last night. Oh, my heart was broken and our faith was inspired as I saw people reaching out with desperation, crying out to God and, and releasing faith for miracles to take place. And, and I believe, I believe God, I really believe, I sensed something. I felt a confirmation in my spirit last night that some miracles happened in this altar last night. Faith was rising in the house. God did some awesome things. Amen. Oh, hallelujah. How many need a miracle? How many believe that God's still doing those great works that only He can do? Hallelujah. All things are possible to Him that believes. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. Let's go on a journey and follow Jesus around for just a bit and, and see how intrigued He was with emptiness. He was drawn to it. it there was just a, an attraction. It was a magnetic tug. There, there was just this allurement about emptiness that Jesus couldn't shy away from. The great crowd begins to follow Jesus, and, and he looks upon that multitude with compassion as sheep without a shepherd. From the moment Jesus saw them, he realized that, that they were spiritually bankrupt. And they had nothing to eat, not only spiritually but naturally. And as our preacher preached the other night, a seed was planted in Philip's ear. How are we going to feed all these people and take care of them? And Philip did just what you and I do. He, he got out his calculator and started punching numbers as fast as he could to see how many people there were, how much it was going to take. Bottom line, Lord, if we had 200 denarii, we still wouldn't have enough money to feed the crowd. And as Bishop Cox preached, there, there wasn't a store anywhere near that had enough food to feed all those people anyway. The Lord told him to sit down, and he was going to demonstrate to Philip and over 5,000 people what he could do. Now, I know there were five loaves and two fishes, but that was nothing compared to the need that was there. It's, it's really surprising that the disciples couldn't figure this out because when you go to the very first miracle of Cana, of Galilee, you have the story of Jesus taking nothing 
and turning it into wine. And everybody's in this celebrative mood, and, and there's this need, and folks are panicky, what we're going to do. And, and uh, pretty soon everybody uh, uh, knew that the pots were empty. Everybody say empty. No more wine. Everybody was embarrassed. Even Mary jumped into the middle of it and tried to give them some advice. You know what Jesus did? He just let them scramble for a period of time. He does have a sense of humor, our God. And, and he knows something that you and I need to know and understand, and that is this, that sometimes it's good for us to feel empty for a while. For it, 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 that, that dawning, that, that aha moment, I'm desperate. I've got nothing. I need a miracle. And he lets us feel the inadequacy and the emptiness till we come to realize that unless he comes, the picture won't be complete. And you know the story how that he finally looked over at six water pots that were empty, and, and you know the rest of the story. On and on throughout the Gospels, he was always interested in the nothingness of man. Hallelujah. I wonder if we could just let the Holy Spirit talk to us for a while here this morning. Amen. Praise God. Why don't you just lift a hand to heaven and, and just entertain His presence for a moment. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts today. Help somebody through this word. Praise God. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives right now. Job talked about the fact that God is able to take something that was nothing and make it sufficient. Reflecting upon God who spreads out the northern skies over empty space and suspends the earth over nothing. Nothing. I read a story of a man who spent 14 years in Romanian captivity and was released just a few years ago when the communists lost their power in that country. He was placed in solitary confinement because of his faith. Yet he, and he realized that there were other believers that were also being incarcerated in that underground holding area. And he figured out a way to, to tap on a pipe and communicate with the others that were also in that dungeon of a cell. And he would try to encourage them that were in that same predicament. He was Richard was the only pastor of the group and felt a responsibility to minister to those that were there with him. One day he tapped on, on the pipeline. God specializes in taking nothing and making it something. Let's have communion. And that was his message. And after his release, he said that some of the most sacred hours were those hours when he had nothing, and he felt so empty, and the Lord came and filled that void with his very presence. Now, here's the rest of the story. When Richard was released from that prison, Christians in Bucharest took Richard to a bookstore, a Christian bookstore that they had established. 
And he was so excited to know that Bibles were being distributed in that country. And then they informed him that they had many, many more Bibles that were being kept in storage for distribution. And they said, would you like to go see where we're storing these Bibles, keeping them? He said, I would. And so they took him to this place. And the place that they took him was the very place where he had spent 14 years of his life. And his jail cell was now a holding place for Bibles for the Romanian people. God had taken nothing and made something beautiful out of it. Oh, praise the Lord. Consider with me that, that our emptiness is actually a gift from God. That desire to have more of God is His gift to us. So it is that one of the empty vessels that we bring is that empty vessel of desire. Psalm 37 and 4 reads, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. This verse doesn't mean that He gives us what we want apart from His will in our lives. Rather, He gives us those desires. The, the desires that we have will be those desires that He has given to us. Oh, praise the Lord. Thank God. How much capacity? I want to ask you this morning. Saints of God, how much capacity do you have for God? I'll, I'll tell you this. We have as much of God as we can take in. God is ready to give, give more, but our capacity to receive determines how much of God that we contain. You measure the, the reality and the intensity of desire and you measure capacity, like, like, the, like the atmosphere rushing to fill every vacuum as, as the sea flows into and fills every low edge along the shore. It's just the same with God. Whenever there's a heart that's open with desire, the blessings of the Spirit rush in to fill and occupy that vacancy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's no better case study of emptiness than Solomon. Strange as it may seem, as we read the book of Ecclesiastes, we see a picture of a man who is searching, who is questing for something to satisfy. I want to read a few verses. I won't read, but just a few. Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 3. I sought in mine heart to give myself unto wine, yet acquainting my heart with wisdom, and to lay hold on folly, till I might see what was that good for the sons of men which they should do under the heaven all the days of their life. I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the days, the few days of their lives. Solomon had tried everything that he could find to satisfy and to try and fill the void and the emptiness in his life. He had every pleasure that could be imagined. He built every building that could be built extravagant projects, lakes, rivers, palaces, temples. He gave absolutely everything he had in the endless pursuit of finding real joy and happiness. And in the end, this is what he said in chapter 2, verse 10. And if you will allow me, I want to read it from the NIV just for perhaps a little clarity of understanding. Reads, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired, 
in parentheses, you have this parenthetical statement. Everything I wanted, I got. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward for all my labor. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. In fact, eight times in one chapter alone, Solomon said, this too was meaningless. This too. In verse 25, as he closes the chapter, he makes this summation. This too I see is from, this is interesting. Note this. He says, this too I see is from the hand of God, parentheses, even this emptiness was from God's hand. Even this emptiness was from God's hand, end parentheses. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? The emptiness that Solomon was experiencing was God's hand on him, showing him that he could never fill his life with anything that would last except God. Oh, hallelujah. Only Jesus can satisfy your soul. Sing it with me. Help me. I can't. My voice. Only He can change a life and make it whole. He'll give you peace you never knew. Sweet love and joy and heaven too. For only Jesus can satisfy your soul. How many have come to know that only God can satisfy the deepest longings? Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. If I'm empty, if I sense emptiness, that means that I have a need. If I'm empty, there is something missing. And it is that discovery of that emptiness and that need that motivates me to seek after God. It was her emptiness that encouraged that woman in our text to go to a prophet and say, I've lost everything. It was emptiness that prompted Joseph's brethren, who in the time of destitution and famine, with starvation staring them in the face, made their way to Egypt where the supplies had been treasured up by Joseph, who is a type of Christ. It was emptiness that brought a Samaritan woman to a well. And as she began to put a bucket down, she heard a man say, if you would drink of me, you would never thirst again. And she thought of all those trips and all of that emptiness in her life and what this man was promising her sounded so good. It was emptiness that helped a prodigal son to wake up in a pig pen far away from his dad's home and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's something more to life than slopping with these hogs. I will arise. Hallelujah. It was emptiness that caused the woman who had spent all that she had on physicians, that's what Dr. Luke said, to finally press through the crowd and say, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I know I can be made whole. Hallelujah. Maybe, maybe I'm preaching. Just maybe there's somebody here in this house today that is desperately trying to find satisfaction 
in, in, in the endless pursuit of material possessions, things that money can buy, or seeking after pleasure or position. But one day you're going to find out that you can't buy it. You can't find it in wrong associations or in positions of power and influence. Only Jesus can satisfy your soul. If you believe that, praise the Lord with me right now. Hallelujah. I've got to admit it. I've got to own up to it. I'm empty. I'm empty. There comes a time when I have to realize that I I no longer can hide it or fake it or pretend that the emptiness isn't there. It has to be addressed sooner or later. We must not be like the Laodiceans who said they were rich and increased with goods and had need of nothing. They didn't need a thing, they thought. But God said, you're pitiful, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. You don't realize it. One of the first sermons I ever preached, I think I was 18 years old, one of the first sermons I ever preached was naked in a clothing center. Laodicea was a clothing center. Lycus Valley, they extracted the wool from those sheep, and it was a manufacturing center for fine woolen garments. Amen. And it was a banking center. It was a medical center. It, the, the ISAB, I think it was called Calibrium, was, was uh, uh, developed there. And, and folks would travel through the hot sun and the sand of the desert, and their eyes would be irritated, almost blind. But when they got to Laodicea, they could get that ointment, and, and their vision would be uh, restored, and their sight would, would come back clear. They had it all. The Laodiceans had it all. And yet the Christ of the candlestick said, you don't know it, but you're empty. You're miserable. You're poor. You're blind and naked. You don't have all these things. He said unto you, I stand at your heart's door. I want to come and fill your life with peace and joy. We've seen, we've all seen Holman Hunt's painting of Jesus. The stone archway, the ivy-covered bricks. And Jesus standing before a heavy wooden door. It was in a Bible that I had as a young boy. Maybe that picture is hanging in your dining room for all I know. But beneath the painting were the words, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him. How many can visualize that picture right now in your mind? You've seen that picture. It's very familiar to us. It was years later that I read about a surprise in that painting. You probably know what it is before I even remind you of it. But Holman Hunt, the artist, had intentionally left out something which only the most careful eye would note as being missing. I hadn't noticed it until I read about it. And then I went and found the picture. Sure enough, sure enough, it wasn't there. There's no doorknob on that door. No doorknob. It could only be opened from the inside. Only from the inside. So it is that the Lord comes to our lives and He steps up to the door and He knocks. But it's up to us to open the door. He's a perfect gentleman. He won't force Himself into your life. That's right. There's one thing God cannot do, and that's violate the human will. He won't force you to serve Him or to let Him in or to feel the emptiness that you're experiencing in your life. It's up to us to let Him in. 
My greatest need is to know my need. Would you repeat that with me? My greatest need is to know my need and then let God come into my life and meet that need. I'm almost done, but I, I want to I say this. God cannot bless. I t- just mentioned something that God cannot do. I, I know we've seen God can do anything. There's some things God cannot do. I preach a sermon. Things that God cannot do. What's, tell me something God can't do. Lie. That's the first one. God cannot lie. That's right. Let me tell you something else God cannot do. He cannot bless proud flesh. It took me years as a, a boy and a young teenager to get the Holy Ghost because I was just too stinking proud. That's right. I mean, I was a chronic seeker. I wore out the saints of the Most High, crying and begging. I kept people at church long after they wanted to go home. And that was, you know, that back in my childhood was, was before the the, the day, the revelatory days where it was easy to get the Holy Ghost. Thank God for prophets like Billy Cole and others that came along and showed us and revealed to us that God wants us to get the Holy Ghost more than we want to get it. We don't have to beg God for it. That's right. That's right. I remember as a, I remember as a child in Portland, Oregon, Billy Cole came and uh, held a Holy Ghost crusade on on uh, uh, Killingsworth. Johnny Clemens was the pastor. Some of you can relate to those days. And Billy Cole had everybody stand that didn't have the Holy Ghost. I think there were 11 people that didn't have the Holy Ghost, and he asked for 11 chairs. And y'all, how many ever remember those meetings? Lined up 11 chairs. And uh, 11 people came and sat in those chairs, and he talked to them a little while encouraged him, prayed the prayer of faith. I think every last one of them got the Holy Ghost right there. You mean I don't have to seek for the Holy Ghost for 10 years to get it? Wow, that's good news. Amen, amen. The night I received the Holy Ghost, I'll just share this. It doesn't really have a whole lot to do with my message, but we wouldn't be preachers if we didn't get off track a little bit. But I had sought for the Holy Ghost, and this may help somebody. I don't know who I'm preaching to. But I'd sought for the Holy Ghost 9, 10, 11, 12 years old and uh, hadn't gotten the Holy Ghost. And the night I got the Holy Ghost was at the Washington camp meeting on Black, what was that lake? Black Lake. That was sawdust, folks. You think you're camping here. That was a sawdust tabernacle. That's back in the early days of Pentecost. And Papa was there ministering, probably doing foreign missions or something at that camp meeting, and, and, and it wasn't even, we were from Oregon, we were up in Washington, and the night I got the Holy Ghost, I wasn't even seeking for it. I'm trying to help somebody know, you don't have to necessarily seek after God to get what you need from the Lord. Just bring your emptiness to Him. <laughs> Hallelujah. Uh, I, I know we have to have seeking hearts, but you don't have to beg God to give you a miracle or to fill you with the Holy Ghost. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. And the night I got the Holy Ghost, I kind of just walked up the aisle and, and I, I, I didn't come all the way to the front. I, 
I wasn't discouraged, but I just, I just slipped into this second pew right here and just kind of nestled down in that pew and just started talking to God. Just a little boy. Nobody was praying. Nobody was shouting in my ear. Nobody was screaming, hold on, while the other one said, let go. <laughs> I guess I had to finally just come to that point. I had to come to the end of the rope. It's where it's, God, it's just you and me. And I entered into his presence and just started loving the Lord and worshiping him. The next thing you know, I was talking in tongues. And I don't know really what happened except they tell me. Now, this is the guy that was so too proud to get the Holy Ghost. But they tell me that I was literally rolling across the front of that altar area, back and forth in that sawdust, back and forth, back and forth. I, I not only got the Holy Ghost, I became a holy roller. I'm talking about sawdust. They carried me to the dormitory and put me in the bunk speaking in tongues. Now, you don't have to get the Holy Ghost like that. It's like the bishop preached the other night. God's not going to replicate that. He's going to come up with something more creative and different for you. But how many are glad this morning that God filled you with the baptism of the Holy Ghost? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And we need to stay full of the Holy Ghost. The only way we got the Holy Ghost was by emptying ourselves. The only way we're going to stay full of the Holy Ghost is by emptying ourselves. Bring, bringing our emptiness to God so that He can continually use us and bless us for His glory. God can't bless proud flesh. Samuel Rutherford, the great preacher of old, said, Stoop, stoop, for it is a low door by which you enter into the kingdom of God. you got to get down in order to get God. He can't bless proud flesh. I wonder what God could do for us if we could just humble ourselves a little bit more and take on some more emptiness. Instead of self-sufficiency, the recipient, I'm about to go to preaching here. I'm about to preach myself into a state of excitement. <laughs> I'm also about to lose my breath. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you folks are so wonderful. I could come up here and live. I could. I could. That's right. I could. I just don't know about these, this midnight sun, though. I don't know. But if it's the will of God, you know what? That wouldn't be a problem with me. God has a way of uniting my duty with my desire. You don't have to worry about a missionary that's called to the field complaining and grumbling and feeling miserable about it. There's an excitement. A truly God-called missionary delights in what he's doing. I don't care if they're living in a hut, if they're living in a third world, because God gives them the delight along with the duty. 
If you're not happy in what you're doing for God, you may not be in the will of the Lord. Oh, my goodness. My wife's back there going, okay, it's time to wrap this up. So the recipient of the blessing must be lower than the source of the blessing. Solomon, the Bible says that Solomon built pools above the city of Jerusalem. Now, he was a wise man. He knew what he was doing. So, so why did he do that? Because he knew that the blessing flows downward. I know this isn't rocket science, but there were aqueducts that, from those surrounding mountains, and the reservoirs of water would supply the water for nourishment, vegetation, vineyards, sustenance. So it is with the blessings of God. They always come down. They don't go up. And so we got to lower ourselves beneath the almighty presence of God. And when we humble ourselves, God's blessings can't help but flow. Amen. It's not that difficult. Praise God. Praise God. Somebody say, praise the Lord. So we know that only God can feel, fill our emptiness. I don't care how great your spouse is. She can't meet all your deepest needs. You won't find the answer in your vocation or secular advancement. No amount of success in this life will fulfill your greatest longing. Remember when the disciples went back to their fishing after the disappointment of Calvary to them. The Bible says they fished all night and caught. Did I hear that? They caught what? Nothing. And it was in that nothingness, that toil, that work, that sweat, that Jesus came to them. Have you caught anything, fellas? How many of you know that he knew? God knows. He knows. Why did he ask that question? He was trying to elicit from them an admission of emptiness. He wanted to hear it from them. These guys know how to fish. You think you know how to fish up here. The disciples did too. That's right. They knew where they were. They knew that they, it was their livelihood. Have you caught anything? Nothing. And then he said, cast your nets on the other side. Well, now that made a lot of sense, didn't it? But they did. And the nets were full. And there was a person in that boat that was bankrupt, down on himself, discouraged, his name was Simon Peter. God is in the business of taking nothing. Peter felt like a big nothing. Had failed God miserably. Betrayed the master. 
But God's in the business of taking nothing and making something beautiful out of it. He can do an amazing work with a bunch of nothing. Hallelujah. All my confusion, Jesus understood. All I had to offer him was brokenness and strife and emptiness. But he made something beautiful out of my life. I want you to stand with me this morning. Perhaps the musicians could come. And we'll close this service and have some lunch. But I just want to remind you that God will surprise us with what he can do with nothing. Ephesians 3 and 20. Now unto him, say it with me, that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. And in that same context, verse 19, the verse before, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Somebody praise the Lord with the clapping of your He wants to fill us with His fullness. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Go borrow some vessels, even empty vessels. And they kept bringing them, and they kept pouring. And they were all filled. He said, bring me some more. They said, there are no more empty vessels. And the oil stopped flowing. God keeps giving himself as long as we bring our emptiness into which he can pour himself. The one requirement of the vessels was emptiness. Size didn't matter. Shape didn't matter. Color was incidental. The only requisite was, prerequisite was emptiness. And if you're empty this morning, God's looking for you right now. (laughs) He's drawing near to you at this very moment. He wants to fill you. He wants to bless you. Just bring your emptiness to Him. Bring all of your needs to the Lord. He is so able and willing to help you. Just bring all of your needs to the Lord. We're coming. Why don't we just gather with these others? Just.